Before the crowds, all the attention and fame, they were just kids. It's the local play-by-play broadcasters that recognize their talents and their flaws. This is a look behind the curtain of the athletes that made it out and the local guys with ringside seats. You get an insider's view into what goes on behind the sports from local play-by-play broadcasters around the country. This is the Before the Crowds play-by-play podcast with Ken Keller. And welcome to Before the Crowds Play-By-Play Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Keller. This podcast is a part of the Hefe Pods Network, a division of Glades Media. If you have never listened to this podcast before, uh, basically what it is, it's a play-by-play discussion uh, where I, who've been in play-by-play at some level for nearly 25 years now, I talk to other play-by-play broadcasters from all over the country. We talk about... The uh, the craft we talk about, uh, you know, just things within the play by play industry, but mainly we talk about the players they cover and specifically the players they cover before they become famous. Uh, so you know, you, we you know we'll talk to people about uh, you know athletes they cover before they made it to the pros or they made it to uh, you know major collegiate sports. They got to see them first before anybody else did. That's kind of the theme of this podcast. And, and it, you know, these conversations go all over the place. So in the past, I've done a lot of uh, interviews with high school broadcasters that that uh, um, covered players before they became famous. Brian Houston in Texas, he covered uh, um, Patrick Mahomes games before he obviously became a future Hall of Famer with the Kansas City Chiefs. And several minor league baseball broadcasters who saw some of the games best before anybody knew who they were. And that's what got me thinking about today's guest. It's part two of my discussion with Scott Zarilla of the Cleveland Charge. Uh, that's the G League affiliate of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The G League is, um, for lack of a better term, the minor league system for the NBA. So... Uh, today's part two, and in this part of the discussion, we talk about just kind of like a lot of the inside, the behind-the-scenes stuff that uh, Scott does, the long bus rides, um, what's it like talking to these players, both on the G League level. He's got a nice story about Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James all in there. He's talked to and and uh, you know covered the best of the best, and some really interesting stories, uh, you know, within that. That all being said. This is very interesting to me talking to somebody that covers the G League because I uh, I'm a big baseball fan. I go to a lot of minor league games. There's a lot of minor league teams uh, in the area that I live here in South Florida. And one of my favorite things to do is just go to these games. I, I'll look up the prospect list of uh, the top prospects that are playing at these minor levels, and I may or may not know who they are, but I'll learn who they are and I'll watch them and I'll tell my kids about them when we're watching the game and say, listen, this this guy might be you know playing for the Mets in a few years or or this team or that team and you know keep an eye you know on them and uh, more time you know, so many times we've been watching games on TV and I'll say hey you, remember, you saw that kid play I call him a kid but uh, you saw that guy play uh, a few years ago in, in St. Lucie Florida so uh, I think that's fascinating and now it's transitioning over to basketball Scott Zarella who's been calling Cleveland Charge games for a long long time 
has seen players, you know, come across uh, before anybody knew who they were. That eventually went on to, you know, NBA fame. Joe Harris is uh, is one of the bigger names that he's uh, called. He talks about a few more in this episode. So without further ado, let me get into part two of my discussion with the Cleveland Charge play-by-play broadcaster, Mr. Scott Zarilla. Sharif, wave of traffic, comes into the lane, kicks it to Vaughn, pumps, steps in, goes right corner, Nate hitting for the three ball. Got it! Beautiful ball movement. Yes, that's the way you do it. Now, Scott, um, I definitely want to talk more about your career here soon, but let's get to some stories here. You talk, you reference some some travel stories. I want to hear about some of the guys that you've covered that went on to be names that people know. Anything like any? Obviously, you know you can censor your stories as you like, but any interactions that you've had with players, anything funny, goofy, interesting to our listeners that has happened to you over your long time covering G League games. <laughs> have a lot of stories, a lot of fun stories. Um, first of all, just you had mentioned about some names that have made it big that have come through uh, the charge. To be 100% honest, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Not a ton. I mean, there are some names. Uh, we mentioned Joe Harris. Um, he's probably the most familiar with some. Maybe Quinn Cook a few years back. Eric Moreland uh, played for us. Um, those are some of the better players that played for the charge that went on to play a little bit in the NBA. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the stories, however, those I could go all after, <laughs> all morning, all afternoon. Um, for one thing, I mean, we fly commercial, we do not fly, um, you know, private or any or charter or anything like that. We bus anywhere within about six hours, otherwise, we fly. Um, boy, some of the stories again. One of the fun ones, the one of the first ones I always bring up. I forget where we were busing back from. I think Grand Rapids, and I'm a somewhat of an older gentleman. And by the end of the day, and after a game, it's twelve, one o'clock in the morning on a bus. I'll I'll go to sleep. So I'm trying to sleep, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and I look up, and it's Quinn Cook. And he looks down at me and he goes, hey, man, he goes, are we going to stop and get something? I'm still hungry. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. So he goes, okay. So I kind of put my head back, close my eyes. He taps my shoulder again. He goes, hey, man. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, who do you think was better, Shaquille O'Neal or Akeem Olajuwon? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. It's like 1.45 in the morning. Yeah. And there's this 24-year-old kid wanting to talk about that. But it's worth it. I would always take Akeem Olajuwon myself. But anyway, we so we talked about that, which was funny. Um I mentioned Eric Moreland. One time he came on with on the bus to go to the airport. He had he must have had five or six bags of shoes. And we all looked at him and was like, what are you doing? What why do you need all those shoes? This past season, we got on the bus. And who was the player? Oh, I'm drawing a quick blank. The players just come and go. He got on the bus and he had a he had a 54 inch flat screen TV with him. <laughs> All right. And we're like, what, what are you doing with the TV? He goes, Hey man, it was on sale at this store across the street. Okay. I mean, it's just things like that, you know, for, for the, for our, our listeners, most of us are normal sized people, right? Six feet, six, mm-hmm. two, five, ten, right? Well, these guys are all six, four, six, eight, seven feet. Well, when you see them getting in buses, right? And airline seats, and try to fold themselves in and pull themselves out. Uh, the one thing I've always done, 
when I see you, you've basically, if you're six, four or old or, or taller, if you're in the middle, I will switch seats with you. I will offer, I will always give up my aisle seat to sit in your middle seat. If you are six, five or above, which for what it's worth, the players, I think that's one of the reasons I get along so well with the players situation. And I always try to take care of them. Um, Oh, like I said, I just I, I don't want to sit here and try to just draw it on all day with stories, but just fun things like that, getting to know guys. Uh, we had a guy a few years ago, Mitch Ballack. We were in Washington, and we went and spent time at the um, uh, uh, Smithsonian Institute when he went to some museums and just hung out. And you get to know guys away from the basketball court. And I've told people forever, when they find out I work for the Cavaliers, the first question they ask is, ever talked to LeBron James? <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> hundreds of times, literally. And I said, what's he like? And I said, he's just a regular guy. He really is. He's just the best player in the world, the most famous player in the world, et cetera, et cetera. But I've talked to him about, you know, the old days when Tony Romo was the quarterback of the Cowboys and he got hurt. And then they first brought in Dak Prescott. Well, when Tony Romo was coming back, he and I were debating about who should be the starting quarterback. Players are just people. And a lot of fans don't realize that because they put them on a pedestal, which is fine, but they only see them on TV or they go to games and they don't get to talk to them. And they're just regular guys. And when you get them away from the basketball court and you go to lunch or you watch a movie and you just talk about stuff, you know, I remember a few years ago, um, okay, everybody knows Al Horford, mm -hmm. Boston Celtics. His brother John played for the charge. And this is when all the superhero movies were coming out and were very popular, 2012, 13, 14. We had a bus trip. We must talk for three hours about who's the greatest superhero. <laughs> is Batman really a superhero because he doesn't have superpowers? Is Iron Man a superhero because he's a you know he's he's a super that you forget they're basketball players you're just two guys talking about that's Batman. hilarious it's fun yeah. it really is fun so I said just those sorts of things I've played shooting games with them we were in Long Island a couple years ago it's called ten in the pot everyone gets at the three point line you have five guys one in each corner one on each wing one straight away. And what you do is, if I shoot and miss, then it's your turn. If I shoot and make, that's 10 in the pot. Then it's your turn to shoot. If you shoot and you make it, now it's 20 in the pot. Then the next guy has to shoot. If he misses, he now has 20, right? Because there were 10 in the pot twice. He missed the shot. He's got 20. The first one to get to like 100 loses, so if if you followed along with that, that's it's basically a little bit of a shooting game. But I did that with the team a couple of years ago, and I went down. I was it was me and one other guy, and it's fun because players don't think that a fifty eight year old, I'm going to say a white man, mm -hmm. can shoot with them. But I did. <laughs> and for you. The trash talk is fun. You know what I mean? It's a good time. So I enjoy my time. I like to rebound for the team practices and shoot arounds i rebound for them i pass for them i play a little phantom defense type of thing players enjoy that they appreciate it and i don't do it for any other reason that than because i enjoy basketball i love it i always have um i wanted to be julia serving and bob mcadoo when i was a little boy 
And when I realized very quickly I was not going to be either of them, I decided I wanted to be Joe Tate. But just being around the team, being around the players and the coaches, when the coaches asked me my opinion of a game, hey, you know, the game last night, what, what did you see in the fourth quarter? I'm flabbergasted when coaches ask me what I um, – those are the stories I, I, I think about the most. You're sitting in an airplane and you've got – you know, they, the, they get on the, the intercom and say, we're going to be sitting for 40 minutes because we've got to wait for this, that, the other. And you're sitting next to a player and you just start talking about stuff. So I'm very lucky. And, again, you and I have talked with, with your work in play-by-play as well. As much as you like doing the job – Am I wrong, Ken? Don't you love talking to the players off the diamond, off the court, about things other than the sport you're covering? Yeah, 100%. It's about the relationships yeah. with not only the players, but the coaches, the families, the fans, everything around. It's why we do what we do, because there's a special connection between the broadcaster and the team that you're covering. We're kind of the bridge, not kind of, we are the bridge between the yeah, public yeah. And, and that team. And that's something I take very seriously and I absolutely love about what we do. Yeah, I've always said the same thing. I, I refer to myself as the conduit. Let, 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 look at it this way, Ken. You can't ask a person that wouldn't say they like to be the smartest person in the room. Well, I do enjoy it when people come to me and say, hey, what's going on the guy that you know knows what's going on? And to have those stories and to be able to pass those along to those people that are, to me, Good enough to take two hours and 15 minutes out of their night to listen to a Cleveland Charge game when we're in Salt Lake City. To tell to be as sharp as I can be. I take care of myself. I, you know, I, when I'm on the road, it's hard to eat. Sometimes it's t- tough to get sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to be at your best for that broadcast. And I want to have as much information and as many stories so that I can pass those along so that the listener can maximize the two hours that they gave me and feel like, wow, that was exciting. That was fun. My team won. That was a funny story about that player. That's what I love. I like that when I get off the air and people always ask me, especially guys on the uh, the staff, it's funny. They'll say, so how was your broadcast? I said, my enthusiasm and my excitement was A plus because I love what I do. You know, you know this as an announcer, you'll slip on words, you'll stumble over this, that, the other. That's going to happen. When you're talking, that's going to happen. But the enthusiasm, the excitement, my love of doing it, and to be able to pass along the information, as long as the listeners are getting that from me, I'm happy. I don't need awards. I don't need patted on the back. As long as they continue to keep me on board and pay me every other Friday, I'm good to go. You mentioned your age, and you are a very energetic guy. You're a very young-sounding guy, so I, I did not uh, I did not expect you to say you were, you said pushing 60, is that right? Um, 59, uh, 59 in August, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, and obviously your enthusiasm for what you do helps keep you young and, and, and your energy up, but I would also think your interaction with a lot of 19 to 23-year-olds <laughs> does the same thing. You mentioned the conversations that you have, and it sounds like you can hold your own with these kids. Well, I only told you the stories that I was able to keep up with because there are lots of stories, lots of topics, lots of music, 
lots of things that go on that no, I just <laughs> can I just turn and walk away? Yeah, I just I don't I don't like being the old guy on my play, but there are times and and it's nothing personal, but they're twenty two and twenty four and twenty five year old young men mm-hmm. that you know I may. We had a player a couple of years ago. He had an Earth, Wind, and Fire T-shirt on, which I thought was fantastic because everyone loves Earth, Wind, and Fire. They make it is scientifically known that Earth, Wind, and Fire music makes everything twenty-eight percent better. That's just a fact. So anyway, I like that. I could talk to him about Earth, Wind, and Fire, but when he started talking about other music or other artists or other things that they do in life, you know, video games. I know nothing about video games. When they bring out some of those things, that's when I become the 58-year-old and I just go walk off and do my own thing. Yeah. So it depends. It depends. So you're also the senior producer for the Cavaliers Radio Network. Is that still your title? Do I have that correct? You know, it really isn't, Ken. Okay. Uh, I had done that for – this will be my 29th season coming up with the Cavaliers organization. Six, And then when the charge came on board in 2011-2012, I did both. So what I did for the Cavaliers just as the radio producer is just what it sounds. For all the Cavaliers radio broadcasts, I produced it. I made sure, you know, all of the sound, the news and highlights and everything that needed to be here for the play-by-play announcers and for the studio hosts were in place. Once the charge came on board, when there was a conflict with the Cavaliers, I would just do the charge announcing and I brought on an apprentice, if you will, who's basically taken over my slot as the producer. And now he does that full time. Excuse me, the last two seasons that I have been doing charge full time travel, that's pretty much just been my job. Okay. And so that answers my question how you're able to balance the two. Because when I read it first, I thought, my goodness, how's he doing all this for the Cavs and calling games for the charge and traveling? And how, how's he possibly doing all of that? And you just answered that. It was that. very difficult. It was very difficult. When, when there was a charge home game and a Cavs home game on the same night, I would come in during the day. I would in the morning I would do my Cavaliers prep work. In the afternoon I would do a little charge prep work. And then that's when they were still in Canton. I would take the hours drive and drive down and do the game. Um that became, as you can imagine, that was a seven day a week job. Because between the Cavs and the Charge, somebody's playing basically every day. Yeah, right. But again, once the um once I traveled, uh, once it came down to the fact that I was going to travel and do all fifty games, just couldn't do it because obviously uh, every road game is three days. You've got to have a day to travel, day of the game, and tr- travel home. That's the minimum. Most travel, you know, most road trips for the G League are like the NBA, multiple games, multiple trips. So it just was too difficult to do. And quite frankly, I'd much rather just be the play-by-play announcer. So I'm much, I wouldn't say happier, but I'm doing more of what I prefer to do, which is the play-by-play full-time. Uh, I want to talk about Joe Tate here in just a bit, but before I do that, um, do you have any stories of NBA guys with your work with the Cavaliers, interactions that you've had, much like you did with the the G League guys? Oh, you mean like funny stories? Yeah, just something that you saw that was interesting, and maybe you don't. I don't know. I I don't want to put you on the spot or anything. Again, it's a matter of just trying to dig them all out. Yeah. Uh, A couple of them comes off the top of my head. One of the fast ones, well, again, I mentioned the shooting game that I had played with the charge a couple of seasons ago. In the the 2007 
year when the Cavaliers went to the finals for the first time, when we knocked off Detroit Mm -hmm. in the conference finals, that series, because at that time I traveled with the Cavaliers to the playoff games along with our studio host, Mike Snyder. So we had shooter out. I was playing greatest shooter in the world was shooting. And I was kind of standing next to him on the floor before media availability. And he made a couple of threes. He looked at me, he goes, he's a great guy, a great guy. And he said, "Um, that's pretty good, isn't it? And I said, hey, man, you're the greatest shooter in the world. You should make those. So he took a three and he made it. And he handed me the ball. And I shot and I made it. I went, I went toe-to-toe with Damon Jones for five straight threes nice. in the corner before I finally missed. Another funny story along the shooting line, and I'm not trying to let everybody know what a great shooter I was. <laughs> it's just these are just funny stories. I love it. No, keep it up. So, yeah. so we, have, we have right now on the charge, he was on our summer league team, Cedric Henderson Jr. His father played with the Cavaliers back in like 98, 99, mm-hmm. along with Zadrunas Ogowskis, Kareva Knight, guys like that, Derek Anderson. So before a game in the afternoon, Cedric Henderson was shooting threes in the corner. And I was standing there watching him, and he made one, and, he, and I said, you know, well done. He goes, he goes I'll bet you $100 you can't make three straight threes. Swish, swish. Swish. <laughs> to this day, he has never given me that money. He said your foot was on the line. Oh my gosh! Come on. <laughs> do you remember a player? Do you remember a player, Chris Gatling? I do, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. So this is when practices were still out on the main floor. Back at the time, it was still Gundarina. After practice, we were all waiting to interview the players out on the floor, and Chris Gatling ran off into the locker room. We're like, "Where's he going?" Two minutes later, he on a cart, he pushes out a cake, a big sheet cake, out onto the court. And we're like, what are you doing? Because back then it was different. You could interact with players differently than you can today. He goes, it's my birthday today. I didn't want anybody to miss it, so I brought out my cake. So we all sung him happy birthday and had birthday cake. Are these the things that you can remember your relationships with the players and coaches? And uh, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I, you know, the fact that you're able to pull these stories out of thin air because we did not prepare for this. Like I didn't tell you that I was going to ask you these questions and, and you've got so many stories off the top of your head. I, it's. And yes, because again, when I, when I meet people, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I was telling someone a couple of weeks ago, I'm always the life of the party when someone meets me for the first time. Well, what do you do? Well, I work for the Cavaliers. Really? What do you do? And then I tell them, well, did you ever talk to LeBron James? Yes. And I tell them all these stories. Did you ever interview Michael Jordan? Yes. And Charles Barkley and Akeem Olajuwon and all the names. Yes. And then, well, what are some of your funny stories? And I said, well, back in the early 2000s, when the Lakers were at their best. And again, it was different back then, Ken. I walked out onto the court after shooting on the Los Angeles Lakers were in town. I walked up to their PR guy um, and I said, John Black, and I said, Shaquille O'Neal is sitting on the scores table. And I said, is Shaq talking today? He goes, I don't know. Go ask him. I said, Shaq, I'm Scott Zerula with Cavaliers Radio Network. Can I ask you a couple of questions about tonight's game? Expletive, expletive, get the expletive out of here. <laughs> 
So I started walking away. He goes, hey, man, hey, I'm just kidding. Come on, come here, come here. Oh, I did a one-on-one -on -one with Shaq for five minutes. It was fantastic. So I went, to, I went to John again. I said, how about Kobe? Kobe's sitting under the basket by himself. I don't know. Go ask him. Hi, Kobe. Scott Zula, Cavs Radio Network. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah. Pats the seat next to, next to him. Come on, sit down. I had this fantastic one-on-one -on -one with Kobe Bryant. You can't do that today. But it was just, again, it's just, I, I didn't know any better back then. That's what it was. I know better now because, I don't know, name player du jour today. Let's just, and I'm not picking on anybody, but like Giannis or Kevin Durant or someone like Luca, mm -hmm. I can't walk up to their PR person and say, hey, can I talk to them and get a one-on-one? -on -one? It doesn't happen. That's not how it works today. So I think I'm so, I'm so close to those stories because they don't happen anymore. And they were early in my career, mid my career, and they were just so great. And again, I've just got a million of them. Bob Sura, remember Bob Sura back I in the nineties? Yeah, he came racing up to me on the outbound East Shore way in this black Mercedes convertible. He pulls up next to me, honks the horn, waves to me, and it just blows past me. It's just funny little things that you know you just you don't expect that you're going to hear about. NBA players. Um, and like I said, because they don't happen. Second podcast next week, just more stories. I've got another hour's worth for you. 100%. We're going to do that at some point. Uh, more after this on the Before the Crowds Play by Play podcast. Be sure to check out our great podcast on hefepods.com. That's spelled J E F E pods.com. You'll find an ever growing selection of shows, some of which are hosted by your favorite radio personalities, from popular English language shows to the hard to find Spanish language shows. Check out the newest episodes of Taylor's Table, The Haunting or Not podcast, and more. They can all be found at hefepods.com. That's J E F E pods.com. And be sure to tell a friend or two or three. I, I got a Bob Sura story for you too. I don't know him, but yeah. I'm a, as a as a huge Cavs fan, I would go to a lot of games. At, as you mentioned, Gundarina. By the way, hated the the '90s uniform pattern, the, the worst that they ever had when Bob Sura was there. But that's for another time. Well, when, when you finish, remind ask me about that. I've got a story about the uniform. Okay, too, that uniform you're talking about. So I went to a game. I was still in college, I believe, at the time with some of my friends, and and they were doing shoot around and Bob. Sura was taking, you know, his pregame shoot around shots and the Weird Al song Amish Paradise came over the PA. But when it started, everybody thought it was the Coolio version of Gangsta's Paradise, which is, you know, obviously something. So they're like, you know, the, the opening bars of the song come along and you start to see Bob Sura, you know, uh, you know, dancing to the beat a little bit. And then Weird Al starts singing. And it was so it was still a really new song at the time. So you see him just like look up at the speaker and like, what in the world is this? <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> Amish Paradise instead of Gangs's Paradise. Totally fooled him. He was such a good guy. I enjoyed hanging out with him. Real quick about the uniforms, yeah. if I may. Yeah, yeah, of course. When we just when we when we um, brought those out to show everyone for the first time, we were doing it up on the concourse on the third level, and some of the players came up, and Gerald Wilkins was there, mm -hmm. obviously Dominique's uh, nephew, but. We were there, and when they unveiled the uniforms, everybody kind of went, uh, nobody really liked them, except me and Gerald Wilkins. We were the only ones like, those are kind of cool. We kind of <laughs> like those. 
Yep, yep. It's all about taste, you know. There's been plenty of uniforms that I haven't had. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a big uniform guy either. Like I certainly don't debate what this and that. At, at bottom line, I couldn't care less. I just want to see him play. But uh, but I do love the old school Cavs with the the net and the V. Those are probably my favorite because that was the eighties. Yeah, the 80s that was the team. Yeah. The teams that I grew up with, and I really do like sure. the cleaner version of today's uniforms too. They're yes. they're simple, clean, but I, I can appreciate that. I like those. Can I agree with you? I, I like this nice, simple, clean, white, most of the time uniform. I do prefer those. But I am. I'm older than you, and I go all the way back to the, well, not the originals, but the Miracle uniform with mm-hmm. the swashbuckler and everything. Um, those are still always my favorite. And those were, those were so unique back in the day. And that's why I think that uh, you can't use them forever, but they were always my favorite. Let's talk about Joe Tate, uh, the legendary Cleveland Cavaliers radio broadcaster. And, and we had Tim Alcorn on the show last week, and and he told us a lot about Joe Tate and his relationship with him. We didn't talk so much stories about him. I mean, he mentioned a few, but we talked about, you know, how – you know, obviously he influenced his career in a personal level because they knew each other. And I know you guys knew each other as well. I did not know him. I never met him, but he absolutely influenced my career just because it was because of him that I wanted to do what he did. Yep. Um, yep. So maybe talk about your relationship with Joe and how great he was and, and what he was like with you <laughs> on a personal level. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been telling stories for about the last 15 minutes and I will kind of lead into answering your question with one as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, as you and I spoke prior to, to recording here, I was the kid who listened to the radio going to bed at night with the earpiece, with the little transistor radio when mom said, go to bed. And I'm up there listening to the Cavs playing at, at Portland and falling in love with play-by-play and basketball and how I could see the game without seeing the game. And that was because of just how good Joe Tate was. So, as I said, Bar, I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer because of Joe. And so I worked at some radio stations, bounced around a little bit. I worked with Mike Snyder, the sports director, a longtime sports director and studio host here with the Cavaliers. And I was doing some work with him over the summer. And one summer, <clears throat> summer of 94, and he said to me, he goes, do you know Dave Dombrowski? And I said, no. He goes, he's the senior director of broadcast with the Cavaliers. He's looking for a producer. Go over and see if you can, you know, he, maybe he can use you. Long story short, Dave did hire me, working with Joe hand in hand. Ken, I don't know how my knees ever stopped knocking. My hands just sweating to meet Joe Tate. You know, right? We've listened to him our whole lives and wanting to be him and emulating him. And... I met him, and he was just the nicest guy, but anybody that never met Joe, Joe's no nonsense. And to fawn all over Joe Tate is the last thing he wants, you know, but to work hand-in-hand with him for 17 years and to then, so to idolize him, to meet him, to work hand-in-hand with him every day during the basketball season, but most importantly, to be his friend, and I do consider him the, my best friend I've ever, even though he's not with us anymore, he's 30. Either I called him or he called me, whoever got to each other first. And that was in the off season. But 
going to visit him for lunches and hang out at his house and going places. Uh, when there were Cavalier events, I would be the one to drive him back and forth. I'm only going to do this event if you come and drive me, is what he would say. All right. Well, that for me is an hour there and an hour back. But that's what you do with friends, and that's what I did with Joe. As a matter of fact, a quick story. I don't know how many people know this. The one year that Joe, when he had his heart attack during the preseason, I forget the year. They all run together, Ken. Mm -hmm. But his wife was in no condition to go. And this was when they were in, in Texas. He had a heart attack in Houston. And they took him to George Bush University Hospital. And the team had to move on, obviously. He couldn't travel. Well, how's he going to get home? Well, I went and got him. I flew down one morning, found, somehow found, you know, the Cleveland Clinic up here is a, an enormous campus of hospitals. Houston is just the same, even bigger. Somehow I stumbled upon that hospital. I found Joe, took him home. And it's just, again, it's, it's what friends do, but that's how close we became. He requested that, you know, we'll see what Zarilla's doing. Maybe he can come down and bring me home. That meant the world to me, let alone the fact that he would listen to my tapes and critique my tapes and talk to me about my personal life. And, you know, just he was we love to talk old movies. I'm an old movie buff. He, of course, was. He loved John Wayne. He loved the current actor right now, Ian McShane. We would always talk about those movies. And quite honestly, Ken, uh, I miss him dearly. Uh, just a, a wonderful man. And when, you know, all you know this, every fan base says that their play, their local play-by-play -play announcers are the best. They're all wrong. I agree. We had the best. Yep. Joe Tate was the best. Joe Tate was the best in basketball, the best in baseball. And that's not knocking anybody else here in Cleveland, Tom Hamilton, anyone else. He was just the best. It just, he just was the best. And they would all say the same thing. Tom Hamilton would say, and I know John Michael would. Tim Alcorn yeah. already did. It's uh, Jim Donovan. Anybody they would they would say the the yes. exact same thing, and you would never get any kind of argument. And and I'll take that one step further for anybody that grew up in Northeast Ohio, listening to Northeast Ohio radio play by play. My goodness, have we gotten the best of the best with guys like Nev Chandler and right. and and. Um, um, Kate, Casey, him. Casey Coleman and I didn't get yep. to hear Casey's dad I heard Casey but I didn't get to hear Casey's dad um, right. you know you mentioned Tom Hamilton and and all the guys they're they're all just phenomenal and and I am so fortunate I grew up you know following Cleveland sports isn't the easiest thing in the world but listening to them is because they're great yep I can't uh, disagree by any stretch, everyone that you mentioned. And again, it's part of our formative years when we're young and we're sports fans. And back before every game was on TV and you had 5,000 channels, it was in the car listening to the radio or the transistor upstairs, the occasional game on TV. But, you know, to, to find out what the Cavs were doing, you either went to the game or you listened on the radio and heard Joe Tate. And same with the Browns and everything else. And uh, that's uh, the, the reason you and I fell in love with it. No, no, yeah. no question about it. Uh, when you, if you get a chance to listen to uh, my conversation with Tim Alcorn, it did come out in the first uh, section. Go back and listen to my uh, my pink Walkman story, and I think you'll <laughs> I think you'll appreciate that. Uh, uh, but it, it's something. This was, what's that? 
there you say this was part one yeah it's on part one i'll, I'll even email okay. you the link you know so if you want to take a listen to it and part two of my conversation will come out next week but okay. uh but the, the the pink walkman story did come out in the first part um two more things before i, I wrap up and again thank you so much for your time you've been so generous with it um I, i'd like to talk about you just your routine getting ready for games you mentioned uh you know the i, I like to ask this with every broadcaster because a you know maybe i'll pick up something that i didn't know about b i'm truly interested in and how people get ready for a broadcast because in our head automatically every single fact that comes out onto the you know onto the radio airwaves it's it, it takes a lot of work and, and it becomes a routine the longer that you do it so i'm interested in your routine well, today there's there's a uh, a program that I am dealing, but there is a um, a system that you can, like a, a software program that you can print out um, score sheets with rosters and numbers and stats. Uh, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, they got them, but they don't have them because you need the database of players and stats for the G League, which I don't. Have. So I have to do everything the Joe Tate way, the old school way. I do everything by hand. So I have. My hard, I should say hard cardboard. It's its a cross between hard cardboard and paper. It's a stiff type of paper. And I have a little, I divvied it up into two sides, 10, 10 roster spots on each, you know, little uh, boxes for different stats and numbers and things. And every day I just have to fill it out by hand. And the, the one thing with a back-to-back type of thing is, if you play the same team twice, I only have to fill out the sheet once because then I just copy it over for the second game. But it's all, you know, I have uh, – now, Ken, I'm going to ask you because I know the answer, but I've got to ask anyway. Mm-hmm. You do use the multicolored pen, correct, the four-colored pen? Oh, absolutely. You have to. Uh, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> so you have to. I've got the four <laughs> – of course. There, it's there's it's no either that or highlighters for me, so yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't do many highlighters. I do the the uh, four colored ink because every uh, color has its own uh, distinct, you know, distinction for what it's used for stats or, or uh, how they're acquired or whatever it may be. Um, but that really is just that's how I prepare. Um, I watch games. I don't. I only. Not only do I watch obviously um, our next opponent, but I watch as many G League games as I can. I'm always watching NBA games anyway. I'm just a basketball guy, so when I know that we're going to play, Tom, I start watching them. In addition to preparing for tomorrow's game with Delaware, and then Friday's game at Long Island, and the next. You know what I'm saying? So I'm constantly. It's funny. I tell people I'm always working ahead until the day until the game comes. So Thursday, I will be working. If the game is Thursday, I'll be working as far ahead as I can until Thursday comes. Then it's all about that that day's opponent. But once the game is over, my score sheet turns into the next opponent. You just constantly have to keep up with players, where they are, how many points they scored last night, records, stats, everything. You You know that. Your listeners know that. So it is a... I told someone not long ago during last year, five and a half months, I think I counted four full days off of no games, practice, shoot around, travel, anything. Just a day of not got to keep up with where the players are. And the G League, as we've talked uh, for quite a bit here, players move a lot. So just because player X was with Delaware 
two weeks ago when we played them, he may not be there now. And the player who played for, you know, Maine last week, and now he's on Greensboro this week when we play them. So keeping up with the with the Joneses moving from place to place is really a difficult type. Uh, uh, that's one of the hardest things to do for sure. That that's that's the prep work type of it. You, uh, I was reading your bio, and I didn't know this because it's a blast from the past for me, but you did games for the Cleveland Rockers, which was the now defunct uh, WNBA team in Cleveland. What was that like? Well, I did not do the play-by-play. I was the studio host. Joe oh, okay. Tate was play-by-play for them. Gotcha. What was which that like I wish, covering I a wish team? I would have done it because they were, they were fun as well. The women very much, and I won't go down this rabbit hole too far, but much like the G League, the women in the WNBA back then, they knew how fortunate they were and how important it was for them. And that was a wonderful league to be a part of for seven years. I, I loved that time so much. When you uh, began your career, you did you know games uh, for Time Warner, Game of the Week in high school back in 1990. Oh, yeah. When you're doing that yes. and, and you're set up in, in and listen, we've all done this. You're, you're set up in yep. the in the stands with the band right next to you, or <laughs> mom and dad are the players right next to you, and you're just trying to like get enough space that you can set your equipment up around you. Did you ever think that you would at that time end up where you are right now? No, no, I didn't, Ken. Um, I just enjoyed doing it as we've been um, my career together, as I said, until I got with the Cavaliers in uh, the fall of 94. Um, I was doing a lot of different things for, like I said, it was Time Warner, it was Cablevision, it was Adelphia. They changed companies, geez, four or five times. Um, so I was just working at radio stations and for Cablevision, et cetera. And I just enjoyed the games and never really thought of working for a professional franchise. I mean, I certainly, it crossed my mind, but I knew I had a lot of work to do. I knew I wasn't good enough at that time to be a professional play-by-play announcer. I did that for 17 years um, with cable station. And a few years before that, I worked at small radio stations and did radio play-by-play. So it was just always part of what I did. I always loved doing it, but no. And like I said, as I said earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, until Mike Snyder uh, referred me to Dave Dabrowski with the Cavaliers, um, I don't know where I would have went from there. Um, who knows? But no, never. The, the time at Cleveland Heights University doing a football game, and I was outside on the aluminum stands in December and the game ended and I couldn't stand up because my pants were frozen to the aluminum VAG league. Tom, I definitely would love down uh, doing the charge uh, against the Osceola magic. Uh, I'm going to try and shoot up and then, and maybe we can meet up in person. Ken, please do. And the funny thing is for the, for the, we have yet to go down to Lakeland since I've been traveling. We're due to well, it's Osceola now, but it was Lakeland for the, for the yeah. past couple of years. Um, we have we've yet to go down there, and I'm like, when am I going to get my winter trip down yeah. to Florida for the nice <laughs> weather? But point is, I will take you up on that. If we are on the schedule this year, I will reach out and we'll get you to the game, and you and I can meet for uh, and yeah. have some conversation face to face. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, text me when you do find out. I'll definitely make arrangements. If I'm not calling any high school basketball at the time, I'll, I'll do it. But uh, Scott, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Ken. It was great, and uh, call anytime. Just want to thank Scott for all of his time. We. 
we could have talked so much longer and we probably will have him back on the show, you know, at some point. Uh, you know, I, I hate to keep going back to his age. Age is just a number. I'm sure he doesn't, uh, you know, think about it at all. But I'm just amazed at his energy, uh, you know, as he's approaching 60. And, um, you know, this job can be a grind. I just want to point out that, you know, to have that kind of energy and, uh, you know, with the long career that he's had, that's saying something. You know, I do, I only do one game a week or maybe a couple during baseball and basketball season. And of course, my regular job, uh, you know, within a radio station and I get tired and, um, you know, but you got to keep up that energy. You got to keep up, uh, you know, that uh, that personality when you're broadcasting a game. That's that's a big part of what people tune in for, whether they know it or not. And, uh, you know, for Scott to have that enthusiasm and obviously just love what he does so many years later uh, is, is pretty inspirational, I mean, very motivational for uh, for me. I'm definitely going to, you know, be checking in when the the Cleveland Charge come to Florida, you know, and for their uh, G League uh, appointments and want to get over there and and check that out as well. All right, we got some great interviews coming down the pipe next week. If you are a fan of the Netflix series Last Chance You, specifically season 3 and 4, for my money, they are the best episodes uh, in the whole series. Well, you're going to be very excited. Jeff Carpenter will be my guest uh, during the next episodes of Before the Crowds Play-by-Play podcast. He was the play-by-play broadcaster that was featured in the Netflix uh, documentary and uh, when the in Independent Kansas. Of course, Jason Brown was a head coach there and a uh, very dynamic coach. Uh, what do you call it? When they're on each end of the spectrum, you know, you either hated the guy or loved the guy. He was certainly entertaining. That uh, is for sure. And I talked with Jeff about being on that docu, that uh, on that Netflix series, what that was like, what J- Jason Brown was like, uh, and. You know, what his life has been like since, and it's something that you're not going to want to miss. That's coming up in two weeks. Until then, I urge you to go back and check out all the other Before the Crowds play-by-play podcasts on the Hefe Pods uh, podcast network. Also, some of the other net, uh, podcasts that are available on hefepods.com. Until then, I'm Ken Keller. Thank you for listening. This has been Before the Crowds Play-By-Play Podcast, a proud member of the Boss Pods Podcast Network, a division of Glades Media. If you like this episode, please tell your friends and follow Before the Crowds on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Before the Crowds. There you'll get extra clips not included in this episode, as well as updates on when new episodes are posted. If you have any questions or comments, message those accounts, and I will either message back directly or answer your questions on a future podcast. The Before the Crowds theme music is written and performed by Lucas Braun of L-Dub Music. More episodes to come over the next few weeks. Until then, thank you for listening.